Here we are one week away from Christmas, and what better way to spend this holiday season than debating with those who claim that Christmas is a pagan holiday and that Christmas trees are sinful. Oh, man. Well, look, we are two years into this tradition that I guess we're starting on the podcast where we'll be doing Christmas episodes. And last year, we discussed why the nativity scene is wrong. And this year, we are discussing why Christmas is not pagan. And more particularly, focusing on Christmas trees. (laughs) The arguments I have heard uh, around Christmas trees being pagan, especially biblical arguments, are... uh, Mm, yeah, uh, and if you have been a Christian for more than five minutes, uh, it's possible that you would have come across people who will tell you that Christmas came from pagan traditions or that it is a sin to celebrate Christmas and to decorate a Christmas tree. And oftentimes they'll pull up various Bible verses to try and support their point. But is there any merit to their claims or have they just misunderstood or misinterpreted or not even read the whole Bible passage that they are using, uh, it seems to me that all three of these options are at play when discussing this topic. So I'd like to take some time today to break down their arguments and show why Christmas is not a pagan holiday, and more specifically, why you can decorate Christmas trees and why Christmas trees are not pagan. (laughs) But a quick announcement. This will be the last episode of the year with Christmas being next week and New Year's to follow. I hope that you all have a great holiday season with your friends and family, and I pray that God will bless you through this time. But let's get into this. Uh, This episode is going to be focusing more on the biblical arguments surrounding Christmas being pagan and Christmas trees being pagan. I'm not really going to dabble in the historical type stuff just because... I don't want this episode to be an hour and a half long, but there are many uh, great resources that talk about this. Uh, Mike Winger on YouTube has uh, some great episodes discussing the historical arguments for Christian or for Christmas being pagan, and Inspiring Philosophy has some great videos regarding the historical arguments as well. But let's look at the Christmas tree. Uh, is the Christmas tree? pagan? Does the Bible have a lot of different passages in the Old Testament that clearly call out Christmas trees and the decorating of them and putting presents under the tree being pagan? Well, let's look at some of these biblical arguments. Uh, Often, one that gets cited a lot is Jeremiah chapter 10 verses 2 through 4. Uh, Let's just read it. It says, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down, and work with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails, so that it cannot move. Uh, I mean, case closed, I guess. (laughs) I mean, it says right there, right? A tree from the forest is cut down, and they decorate it with silver and gold, and this is clearly a condemnation uh, that is being waged here against these practices, right? Well, that would be right if we ignored the context of this entire verse, (laughs) and uh, we also completely missed the message of this passage. Well, because we're told that the tree is cut down, but then 
what happens after the tree is cut down? Well, we're told that it's worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. So the tree is cut down to then be worked and carved by a craftsman. So just from this verse, it's clear that it's not the entire tree that's being decorated. It's not like they're setting up this tree and then just decorating the whole tree. The tree is being cut and then carved and, and worked by a craftsman. And then it's decorated with the silver and gold and it's fastened with hammer and nails. But let's look at the very next verse in this passage, verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. End quote. So now it becomes more clear what God is talking about through Jeremiah here. God's talking about idols. It's very clear. These idols are being carved out of the trees that they cut down and they then decorate them. I mean, just follow the logic of, of the verse. We're told that a tree is cut down. It's then worked by, with an axe from a craftsman. They then decorate it. And then in verse 5, we're told that, uh, hey, these idols are like scarecrows. <laughs> they cannot speak. They have to be carried. It's very clear that what's being talked about here is idols. And we know that these are idols being carved out of the trees because the idols are compared to scarecrows. The idols are compared to something that takes a, a human form, right? Scarecrows have a human-like figure. God even reminds them that these idols are sculpted to look like humans, but they cannot speak and they cannot walk. So there's no reason to fear them. If if Christmas trees is what was in focus here and God was warning people about Christmas trees, it would seem kind of foolish for God to have to tell them that they can't walk and they can't speak. <laughs> like, obviously, trees can't walk and cannot speak. It, it's very clear that what is going on here. So Jeremiah 10 is not speaking about decorating Christmas trees. It is clearly talking about the foolishness of carving and decorating human-like idols out of these trees. And to drive this point home even further, going down to verse 8 in Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah continues saying that regarding the idols, that they are both stupid and foolish. The instructions of idols is but wood. So very clear what Jeremiah is talking about here is idols. And one last cool detail we can point out is that they were made by craftsmen. And the Hebrew word for craftsmen is used elsewhere to speak specifically towards someone who makes idols. Look at Deuteronomy 27 verse 15. It says this, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. So here in Deuteronomy 27, we're told that a craftsman is the type of person that carves or uses metal to make an image, an idol. So as you can see, Jeremiah 10 is not a good biblical source to use in opposition to Christmas and the use of Christmas trees. It actually is the complete opposite of what a lot of these people try and claim it is. The next passage that is commonly used is Isaiah 44. In Isaiah 44, verses 14 through 15, it says this, 
He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. So, typically the argument would be like this. Well, uh, hey, you know, this is, an, this is a, a picture of a really bad pagan dude who is cutting down trees, makes that tree his god, and worships it. So the context of this passage centers around the folly of idolatry. And some will say, when they look at this passage, that the act of kneeling down before a Christmas tree to place or to receive presents is an act of falsely worshiping the tree. And they look at Isaiah 44 here and they say, well, look, I mean, it's talking about a tree that he worships and he falls down before it, which means he gets on his knees before this tree. However, there are many problems with this interpretation of Isaiah 44. For one, uh, th that's not what the passage says <laughs> at all. The passage clearly states that the man cuts down a tree or grows a tree so it can do multiple things. The first is so it can become, quote, fuel for a man and kindling a fire. So he has this tree. He cuts down this tree first and foremost so he can use it for firewood. That's clearly what the passage says is the first use of this tree. And the second use is that he quotes, makes a God and worships it. He makes it an idol, end quote. So just like in Jeremiah 10, uh, this is a craftsman who is using the wood of the tree to make a human-like idol. So the first part he uses the tree for, for firewood. I mean, that's why most people in ancient times cut down trees. Well, so they could use the wood for building and for fire. And the second reason he used the tree is to make an idol out of it. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard me say over and over again about the importance of reading the verses in the context before and after any Bible verse that you're just pointing out to try and cite. And this is no exception. So we just read verses 14 through 15 in Isaiah 44. Uh, let's read the verse before it. Let's look at verse 13 and see what's going on here. So let's read through verse 13 through 15. It says, The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and, and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. I mean, come on. Uh, context in proper Bible reading really does wonders <laughs> when we're trying to understand what a passage is saying. The passage clearly states if they just had read verse 13, that the carpenter, he's literally called a carpenter, shapes the wood from a tree into a human-like idol. I'm going to read it again. The carpenter shapes it into the figure of a man with beauty of a man to dwell in a house. 
he is fashioning the wood of the tree to be a human-like idol that he then bows down and worships. Nowhere does it imply that he is bowing down before a fully grown, uncut tree that he has made as his God. Rather, the verse is really clear. He uses the tree for firewood, and then he uses the rest of it to carve out a human-like idol and fall down before it and worship it. But I do want to tackle one claim that is often made. The, the claim that merely kneeling down before a Christmas tree to place or receive presents is an act of worship, that someone bowing down before something, especially a Christmas tree, necessitates the worship for that thing. Well, there's some problems with this, so let's ask the question. Is the action of bowing down before something an act of worship? Is the action of getting down on two knees and bending down before something an act of worship? Where does the Bible say that bending down on two knees is an act of worship universally? If it is an act of worship, well, then I guess I must be condemned for worshiping many things other than God. I bend down on two knees quite often to pick up my daughter off the ground. Uh, I had to bend on two knees a couple months ago when I had to change a tire. What about when I have to throw up and I kneel before my porcelain god called the toilet? Does this mean that I'm a pagan who is worshiping my daughter and my car in the toilet? Clearly not. The Bible is very clear that proper worship goes far beyond physical action alone. It is the intent of the heart that dictates the sincerity of worship. Look at Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for the lack of sincerity when it comes to the internal desires and motives of the actions that they're taking. They're doing everything outwardly perfectly fine. If, if this was an analogy of kneeling down to worship God, they're on their knees, but their heart is not in the right place. So Jesus points out clearly that you can have all the outwardly action that you want, but it doesn't mean anything because inwardly you're corrupt or you're broken or your heart is not in alignment with what your physical actions are doing. So simply kneeling down before a tree or before anything does not necessitate worship. We also see this uh, in the Gospels as well when we look at the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. I mean, we, we've seen this a lot. In Luke 18, verses 10 through 14, Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. So the intent of an action, especially worship, is what is judged in the eyes of God, not just the action itself. But for anyone who wants to deny this and claim that the action of kneeling before something necessitates worship of it, then they need to answer for the action of picking up their children or getting on their knees to fix their kitchen sink or kneeling before the porcelain throne when they're feeling sick. And you could even ask them, what if I lay the presents under my tree by simply sliding them there with my foot? (laughs) Anyway, uh, I'm being facetious, but you can see the flaws, the logical flaws with an argument like that. It's not biblically based. Um, The few chapters that they tried to cite beforehand clearly are taken out of context. Uh, Here's another one that seems to be more direct, at least on the surface. This one, when I I read it, I thought, okay, I I can understand uh, how on a surface reading, even for maybe someone who, you know, has read their, their Bible quite a bit, I can understand how you could come to a conclusion that Christmas trees are wrong. Jeremiah 3, verse 13 says, Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice. Under every green tree. So that, so God is is calling them out, saying that they rebelled against God because they scattered favors to the foreigners under every green tree. So on the surface, without any context, it seems pretty clear that it was wrong for them to give out favors. Maybe some would interpret favors as, you know, gifts or things like that. Uh, It was wrong for them to do that under every green tree. So it seems that placing gifts or favors or things along that nature under green trees is wrong because, I mean, It says every green tree. However, this conclusion can only be made, once again, (laughs) if you didn't read the whole passage or take just a few moments to do some basic word study. So let's take that time to read more of the passage and to do a basic word study. So let's start by reading a little bit before verse 13. Let's read verse 6 through 8 in Jeremiah 3 says this, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought after she has done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. So Israel is said to be doing something wrong, something adulterous here. And it involves this green tree. This, that same phrase from verse 13, under every green tree, it said here, 
Israel is doing something wrong. They they go up on every high hill and under every green tree and play the whore. They they are they are committing adultery against God, against their covenant. And we know from scripture that under the covenant, Israel is seen as God's bride. That's why God refers to Israel here as she and her. So Israel would have to be doing something that shows that they are no longer faithful to Yahweh, but committing adulterous acts with another God. So they're worshiping other gods here. They are breaking the covenant that they have with God. You shall not put any other gods before me. It's in the Ten Commandments. That was a part of their covenant, and clearly Israel is breaking this. So just that alone clues us into the fact that this has to do with worshiping other gods. But let's focus in on this phrase, under every green tree, because this is the crux for the argument against Christmas trees, is that it's talking about a green tree, and clearly something's wrong here. And the reason why I want to focus on this is because, surprisingly, this is actually a common phrase used in the Old Testament, and it's used to refer to idol worship. Let's take a look. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2 through 3 says this, You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the high hills, under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So this passage in Deuteronomy clearly points out that the nations, the pagan nations, they were serving their gods in the form of idols, and they were doing so on hills and under every green tree. Notice that phrase again. And God is specific that there were altars on these hills, and there were also ashram and carved images. An ashram is a, a wooden idol that resembles the pagan god Asherah. If you do a word study on Asherah, that's one of the first descriptions that you see. So Deuteronomy makes it clear that idol worship was taking place on the hills and under every green tree. And the question we might ask is, well, why? Well, in a hot place like the ancient Middle East, a, a tree would provide a place for shade to worship idols for prolonged periods. I mean, you have to imagine... Uh, the, these pagan nations, they had all these various idols, and they would worship them every single day. So if you're going to worship them every single day in various places, you would want to do it in a place that would probably shield you from the sun. But this is why they would put them under every green tree. But let's look at some more examples of idol worship happening under every green tree. Second Kings verse, or chapter 17, verses 9 through 10. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars in Asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. So once again, uh, we see that Israel was doing some, some bad things, some pagan practices, where they would set up Asherim, these wooden idols. They would put them under every green tree and worship them. And Israel fell for this. They were fooled into doing the things that the nations were doing. 
Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 13 says, And you shall know that I am the Lord, when their slain lie among their idols, around their altars, on every high hill, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree, and under every leafy oak, wherever they offered pleasing aroma to all their idols. This entire chapter, uh, Ezekiel 6, is a judgment on Israel for their worshiping of idols. It is, it's actually pretty crazy, but God here points out that he will strike them down among their idols. Right? That's what verse 13 said. God says, when they are slain and when they lie among their idols. So after God points out that they're going to be slain and they're going to be laying with their idols, notice the places where God says that their idols will be and also their slain bodies will be. He says, on every high hill, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree. So God's making it very clear here in Ezekiel 6 that there is idol worship that is commonly, commonly taking place on mountaintops and under every green tree. And we're told that they offered pleasing aroma to all their idols. That, that kind of seems like a gift, does it not, to these idols that uh, are being placed under these trees for shade. So it's very clear, very clear, just from the few examples that we looked at, that the phrase under every green tree was a short way of talking about idol worship. They would place idols under these green trees for shade, and they would worship them there. And Ezekiel 6 points out that they would bring gifts and pleasing aromas to these idols that are located under every green tree. So when Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 13 says that, Israel was doing wrong because they scattered favors to the foreigners under every green tree. That phrase, if we understood our Old Testament and did a word study on this, it's supposed to invoke in our minds an image of idol worship taking place. Israel, as we just saw throughout the Old Testament, they were worshiping and giving offerings to idols on the high mountaintops and under every green tree. So that is the quote-unquote favors or gifts that is in question here in Jeremiah chapter 3. The act of simply placing gifts under a tree is not sinful unless those gifts are being offered to false gods and idols. <laughs> That's the message that the Old Testament is clearly giving us. And it's the same way that Israel used an altar to offer up sacrifices to Yahweh. And pagans also used altars as well to offer up sacrifices to all of their uh, false and evil gods. But because the offerings were given to Yahweh and not a pagan, it means that the act of giving offerings was not simple or was not sinful. Just because a pagan group has done something that another group also does does not mean that the act is pagan. Like I just pointed out, pagans offered sacrifices on altars. Far before Yahweh made a covenant with Israel and had them make sacrifices as well. But it doesn't mean that the, the Israelites giving sacrifices to Yahweh is seen as sinful and pagan. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 deals with a very similar situation regarding food sacrifice to idols. There were some in the church um, that Paul or that believed that food offered to idols held some sort of power from the gods that they offered it to. 
And Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 through 6. He says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many lowercase g gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Paul is saying that since these idols have no power, therefore the food that was offered to them, it also has no power. So you can eat the food offered to idols as long as you are not eating it in, in some way that's trying to honor the idols that the food was offered to. Paul also makes it clear that we have one God. We have Yahweh, the Father, the creator of all things, whom are all things and for whom we exist and that all things come from God. This is Paul's way of saying that even if the meat was offered to idols, it doesn't matter because all things, including that meat that was sacrificed to an idol, all things were created by God. They are God's and they, and they are uh, God's creation and they came from God. Satan does not have the power or authority to take claim of anything that God has created, uh, pine trees included. So even if Christmas trees have had some nefarious demonic origins that we can point back to in history, which they don't, it wouldn't matter because God is Lord over all and has authority over all things, including Christmas trees. If we're going to fall into the fallacy of prohibiting things that pagans once used, then we would need to stop using and doing a lot of things. Guess what? Uh, pagans use firewood. They use fire pits. I mean, Isaiah 44 made it very clear that uh, the pagan sinner used firewood and he baked bread while worshiping his idol. So I guess we need to stop using firewood and baking bread on firewood because that's what a pagan did. You know what? Uh, pagans had sex. So we better stop having sex in the confines of marriage because when pagans had their marriages, they had sex as well. They had sinful sexual rituals. Does that mean the entire enterprise of sex that God created should be outlawed because pagans did it? You, you see my point. The bottom line is, is that sinful humans will corrupt and tarnish any and all good things that God has given humanity. Human beings will tarnish marriage. They will tarnish the, the meaning of love. They will tarnish the usage of food and clothing and technology. All of these things will be tarnished by humanity, but we are not called to abandon these things simply because people use them sinfully. We are called to use them in a holy way according to God's righteousness. So for marriage, we're called to a duty-filled monogamous union between man and woman. For love, we are called to emulate God's love. For the church, for food, we are called to not be gluttonous. For clothing, we are called to dress modestly, so on and so forth. You get the point that all things can be corrupted by human sin. But we are called by God to live righteously. So 
Christmas and Christmas trees, are they sinful? Does the Bible condemn them? No. (laughs) We just pointed out the scriptures that are commonly cited to try and point out Christmas and Christmas trees being pagan, and those arguments got very quickly dismantled just by actually reading what the passage says. So when we look at the usage of Christmas trees and Christmas in general, uh, is it a tradition that's not explicit in Scripture? Yes. But does that mean we cannot partake in it? Not at all. We can definitely partake in it as long as we are not going against God's word. There are those who will say that because Christmas isn't instructed in Scripture, that we shouldn't participate in it. It's a it's a common <laughs> argument from silence, unfortunately. Um, you know, because we're never told in Scripture to celebrate Christ's birthday. That is true. However, there are many things that Scripture is silent on that Christians participate in every day. The Bible never says that we should vote in elections or drive cars or go to the doctor or talk on cell phones or play football or read fiction novels or wear hoodies or have church buildings that run as businesses. Yet, we do these things because as long as we are not inherently going against God's word or his will, these things surely are fine. The Bible is not a a book that gives instruction and prescription for every possible thing that could ever be done or known or created. The Bible is largely a book of wisdom that points to Jesus, and we see how Jesus operated in the wisdom that he shared with us throughout his life here on earth. And and because Jesus is the word, we trust that the entire narrative of the Bible, both Old Testament and New, can be used as wisdom to help guide us when it comes to things like Christmas and Christmas trees. So as you can see, the arguments for Christmas being pagan and sinful from the Bible fall utterly short when examined and often lead to unachievable lifestyles when logically applied to other aspects of life. With that, I hope you all have a very merry non-pagan Christmas, and I pray that good old jolly St. Nicholas gives you a lot of Christmas presents under your non-pagan Christmas tree. I will see y'all after New Year's. Have a good one.